Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussions, news, and interviews, presenting the film scene with Ileana Douglas. Ileana is an actress, writer, author, and film historian with a need to discuss movies that borders on obsession. You'll learn the history of movies one great story at a time. The film scene is the deep cuts of movie podcasts, featuring movies we love by the people who made them. And now, Ileana Douglas. Why, hello, it's Ileana Douglas. Welcome to the film scene. I'm here with Jeff Graham. Hello, Jeff. Post-Oscars. Post-Oscars. We made it. Uh, something really important to announce. First time ever I won an Oscar pool. Thank you. I We have on record... I won about 80 bucks. You have been a Parasite super yep. fan since both of us love that movie. Since the opening night, mm-hmm. since I saw the opening night uh, at the Arclight, which was... Crazy and electric, and did you meet Bong Joon Ho that night? I didn't. He gave this wonderful speech. He said, uh, "Pardon the accent." He said, uh, "I want to get parasite under your skin." <laughs> I love it. He did. He won four Oscars. So, I know. Uh, he it's definitely so, got it under the Academy skin. The arc of that. So then, cut to the pool. And I said this weird feeling there was going to be an upset. Mm-hmm. So I went parasite down the line. Yeah. And that's what uh, that's the scales. Yeah, I also again because I done the hosted the luncheon. I saw. I made it a point. I saw every single movie, every mm-hmm. short film, any every animated film. So I knew. Uh, but it was funny. We were doing the pool. Everyone's sitting around going, "What are you picking for this? What are you picking for that?" I was like, "Is everybody a cheater now like, Come because on. of our president?" I'm, <laughs> I'm here to win. I'm not well, here to make friends. Like hopefully the, the 80 bucks you won was worth all the time you invested into making sure you saw everything this year. It totally was. I was <laughs> super proud of myself yeah. so that uh, little movies like Hair Love mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's called The Neighbor's Window, probably saying it wrong, but the short film, mm-hmm. I saw that film, very interesting short film, by the way, uh, that won. And uh, what was I going to say? The uh, but you know, it's the strange one I got wrong was animation. Did you go Klaus? Yes, mm-hmm. that how, was. How'd you know? That was the dark horse. So it was probably either going to be um, Toy Story or Klaus. So those were the two that people were projecting to win. So yeah. this is a good guess. So I got that one wrong, and I think I got one of the sound mixing. Mixing and editing, man. Yeah, Those are the tough. two. Yeah, that's all. That's a yeah. That's a toss up. It cracks me up. They always split that category. And no disrespect to sound, but to me, and again, this is my like basic podcast producer brain. And you know, I work with sound, but right. mixing and editing, I feel like so rare. Do non-sound people know the difference between those two categories no who would know now even my uh, understanding of sound mixing would be you know having uh, go when you go to work in the movie sound mixing is when uh okay so they do some technical things they take out some you know bad sound like airplanes (laughs) there we go speaking of our producer ryan who's an oscars junkie himself Doing some sound uh, mixing himself. That's you right. know, adding it's like when somebody smokes a cigarette. And yeah, they they, they light. I mean, sorry, light it up, and it suddenly it sounds too long. I don't know when that became popular. I, think, I heard it described that I think editing is like placing all the sounds, making sure that everything is cued up, and then right. mixing is kind of like the mastering levels. and leveling. Yes. So, 
editing is like getting everything in place and mixing is kind of almost like the color correction of sound. Yes. There's a there's a famous story you may know or may not know about Warren Beatty and Bonnie and Clyde mm. is that he painstakingly went through the sound. He spoke to uh, the director, George Stevens. Uh, for, he liked the movie Shane and the way the gunshots wow. were in Shane. So he painstakingly mixed all the levels of his sound and you know, was very, very happy with it, went, and the mixer apparently looked at, you know, came in the next day, the mixer goes, you know, your sound was awful. <laughs> so I leveled everything out for you. No! Yeah, they completely ruined it. And I've had that, and I I love that story because I've had that same experience. Um, you know, I certain directors, I, you know, Martin Scorsese, I know uh, Quentin Tarantino, they, they don't do looping. Mm-hmm. It's all the wonderful ambient sound. So if a car goes by and honks, great, you know. Um, but I've had the experience sometimes in things I'm doing and people take out, oh, I took that out. <laughs> like, no, I, I – they're in a hallway. It has to echo. Right. So – and sometimes I think that one of the hardest things for a filmmaker – is you don't know what's wrong with your movie. Mm-hmm. Like once you hand it, you know, you're you're in the editing room and you're working with your editor and you really get married to the sound of what it sounds like. And for me personally, one of the hardest things is when you give it over to the sound mixers mm-hmm. because very oftentimes that's when you find out, oh, well, that mic was on this and I had to use this sound and we picked it up from this. And a sudden flatness comes into the... An artificiality. If you, exactly. If you add too much, especially if you're that close to it, it feels different than the day you shot on set, and it just really pulls you out of it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. People don't realize, but sound, a lot of film historians argue, is far more important than picture. Uh-huh. Because people will sit through a movie that doesn't look great, but they'll never sit through a movie that sounds bad, which is interesting. Like, if you have, like, a movie that's not shot perfectly, but it sounds okay, right. you're usually much more tolerant than a movie you can't hear, you know? If the audio is everywhere, it really throws off your just, viewing experience. I just think there's a warmth from the movies of the 70s where, you know, there was nice sound. These days, like, if you're doing a scene and you're wearing leather, oh, it's a nightmare. You know, they've yeah. got the mic on you, and <laughs> and the sound man will keep coming over to you. Could you not yeah. breathe or talk? Because you're ruining the sound. I'm glad you mentioned movies from the 70s because our guest today is yes. a very 70s influenced director, Anna, Anna Biller. Anna Biller, I'm such a fan of hers. And uh, she's such a great filmmaker. And I remember when The Love Witch was playing at the old Cine Family. Mm-hmm. And I was set, told again, oh, you got to go see this movie. And uh, very avant garde and uh, funny. And with a, just a great uh, vision that's all of her. She does everything. Yeah. She does every element of the, the production, talking editing, every every, uh, every part of it. So that's uh, – I'm excited about that. We gotta Can't bring, wait. Yeah. And uh, we're only going to be doing um, – uh, just so everyone doesn't think there's something wrong with their 
their TV. It's going to be audio only. Audio only with Anna, so our podcast listeners won't even notice a difference. But uh, yeah, can't wait to have her. It's going to be great. true. Yeah. Anything else going on? Let's, we got some great guests coming up, I know. Yeah, we've got Dee Wallace next week. Very excited. Uh, we've about been in that. touch with Brian Koppelman's people, who, of course, created Billions. I yes. believe he wrote Rounders as well. I'm uh-huh. trying to, he's got a very, very long, impressive filmography, some of the Oceans movies. So That's great. Yeah, he's got a great podcast himself, so that'll be some great cross promo. And then um, just a lot, you know, it's already 2020. We're off to a great start. So. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's already going to be springtime. It's crazy. And the Ides of March. The Ides of March. I do want to recommend the film um, uh, A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I will say, Ryan, oh our producer. Oh, my God. I knew he would come in here. I have to enter. I, have, this, I this love it. This is my it. favorite R- movie of last year other than Parasite. Yeah. I love this movie so much. You know, what, what was it you loved about it, Ryan? Oh, everything about this movie is amazing, first off. Oh, it, it's already in the Criterion Collection. It hasn't even come out yet. Wow. Um, Celine Sciamma, incredible director. Yeah. Uh, just the tension through looks. Like, so much of this movie yes. is just visual looks at yeah. each other. That's how these two women uh, essentially fall in love. It's an incredible movie. I've never seen anything like it. Wow, what a, what a recommendation. Love yeah. it. Let's I put love that the, on the box. I loved it too. It was, you know, it was very sad, beautiful, um, and uh, just everything you want a movie to be. I have yet to see it, but I will make sure, yeah. especially now that it's Criterion, I have to and see Valentine's it. Day, the perfect Valentine's Day movie. <laughs> and it's so interesting because, you know, they were talking about the Oscars and no female directors and, uh, you know, and then, but this movie, it's so, this movie was out the whole time. Well, but... It's France. France chose to submit Les Mis. They, There's they, the Les Mis. only submit one film. So they didn't even um, submit so they it. Interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, which Les Mis, I was not a fan of that movie. Not and for you. It was a little... Eh, not my. I, I would have much preferred. Uh, I, in Portrait. fact, I thought that Portrait of a Lady on Fire was the submission until. It's interesting. Well, I don't think anything would have dethroned Parasite. I mean, that's it. That's a historic win. It's the first time Parasite winning Best Picture is the first yeah. time a non-English language film wins. And I love the idea of Parasite being the movie to kind of open that door because I think Parasite does speak a very universal language, even though it's in South Korean. It's about class. Right. It's thrilling filmmaking. And, and, and in some ways, it's kind of a simple movie told through a very complicated lens. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a great first film to kick open that door. It'll be interesting to see what the next couple decades in film look like. I just thought that the the what blew me away from when the first time I saw it, which is I wanted to see it again subsequently, is the way that it went. Shifted from genre mm. to genre to genre in a way that I've never seen in any film. It's so hard to do that as a filmmaker because normally movies like Parasite, you finish it and you think, man, that was a really ambitious movie, but it didn't quite stick the landing. And Parasite, right. everything just clicks perfectly. And it's so the degree of difficulty in a movie like Parasite oh is so high. Everything is pitch perfect. The sequence with the water, which <sighs> ends with the the going, toilet. Going to the hat. I, I, I mean, if you could give a movie a standing ovation, yeah, I, I, that's how I felt the first night I saw it. And I kind of wanted to re... I don't think I was breathing during no. that entire sequence. And the filmmaker seems like such a sweet guy. He's, you know, he's this, yeah. obviously this genius, right? He's got a great oeuvre of films, but he's kind of this humble, self-deprecating goof. I enjoyed, sometimes at award shows, it can get a little exhausting to see the same person winning over and over exactly. again. But I love seeing Bong get up on stage every three, every three minutes and just goof around up there. It was there. very refreshing. Totally. For, for me, my last joke about the Oscars yes. was just because I had to do the luncheon and I had to introduce everyone's name. 
I'll know everyone's name for the rest of my life. I'm sure. So I was, you know, every I was like, oh, that's Taika Waititi, yes. and you know, I that's Hildar Guthna Dutir. It was like, do you know these people? It's very good. No, I had to say their names. So. <laughs> Uh, and it was a big year for names too. It wasn't uh Oh my god, every name was really I uh, uh, you know, makes Bong Joon-ho seem easy when you look at the whole list of names. I went I was I said on the show last night. I was so nervous. I literally went around the room to every person, you know, say I introduced myself just so I could say his his name. Bong Joon-ho. That's good. Because I, 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 they sent it to me with him saying it personally. Uh-huh. Which I'm going to put on a mixtape. I wish there was mixtapes. <laughs> I know. Because I have all these celebrities saying their names. Oh, I can make, we can make that happen. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I would, Ileana, I love that idea. I'm keep, happy to help make that I keep that everything. I love, going back to audio, there's something about audio. Yeah. Something about having his name now. I'm going to, I got to put it on a, on it's interesting music. Maybe we'll get some Korean music and put. I love it. Mix him in there. All right, let's get on it yes. in here. Enough of us uh, bantering. Uh, and now we go to audio. Anna is a writer and a director. She creates uh, beautiful, female-focused, highly visual films. Her first feature was Viva. Her second film, The Love Witch, won acclaim for its elaborate style in the New York Times called The Love Witch, a hothouse filled with deadly and seductive blooms. And in 2017, she won the Trailblazer Award, Best Costume Design, Chicago Independent Film Awards. Um, she was, oh, you were, you're in the Academy. I love this. 2019. I invited into the Academy. And it's listed on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, did you add this? You added this because I don't know anything about Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> She's listed in Rotten Tomatoes' article as the 21 Masters of Horror shaping the genre right now. And The Love Witch appeared on many 2016 Best Year lists. And on Rotten Tomatoes is ranked as number 40 in the horror film of all time. Ladies and gentlemen. Anna Biller, thank you. Thanks so much for coming here. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, so we always start out with uh, asking me. I know. I know you grew up in L.A. Yeah. Do you remember the first? I know you talked a lot about seeing musicals and Busby Berkeley, but do you remember the sort of the first movie you saw in the cinema? Maybe. Well, like did, that made an impression on you. Well, the thing is. The, the first movies that made a big impression, I don't remember a particular one, but they yeah. were the Busby Berkeley yeah. movies, you know, like Gold Diggers oh, of 1933 and Dames, and the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies. Yes. And I think the Gene Harlow movies, too. Mm-hmm. So I became very obsessed with the early 30s, the mm-hmm. 1930s, when I was very small, because my mother loved all those films. Right. And she played them all the time. And, um, you know, and she was she was a dress designer, and she sort of imitated those kinds of 30s fashions in her. Mm-hmm. And then we had the records. We had all the records. We had Fred Astaire. We, <laughs> we had all the records, and we knew all the songs. So I was singing songs, you know, from Top Hat. Uh-huh. And I was just, me and my sister were singing. God, where were, were you girls. when I was growing up? I was like... <laughs> Sounds like we my really, childhood. We were really embarrassing because my you know, parents were artists and we'd have these art parties and then yeah. we would get up and we would sing songs from the old musicals. We'd perform at these party at yeah. these art parties. Everybody was so drunk and stoned. They just thought we were so weird. It sounds fun. <laughs> I love it. We would do like, you know, from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And of course she always got to be Marilyn Monroe because she was the dominant <laughs> one. <laughs> the uh well the pre code films 
now they, I, you know, now now they have a name, pre-code. Yeah. They didn't have a name back I know, then, and the thing is, is that um, I have three siblings, and mm-hmm. they were, they liked the movies, but not like I did. So, like, yeah. my mom and my sister would sometimes watch new movies, and they would watch soap operas, and I would just leave the room, because I could only, I could only like the old movies. And this is from the time of being very small. Yeah. I just didn't like anything else. I just thought everything else was trash. <laughs> it was on the television. <laughs> I got into the, you know, I would get into the, well, in the 70s, there was that kind of looking there, you know. That was that 70s, 30s thing. Yeah, that was. And then they (laughs) were movies like. Deco lettering on uh, 70s movies. Yes. And that whole thing. So I was, if, if it had that, I would be into it. Remember Bugsy Malone? Yeah, Bugsy Malone. Yeah, that you know, thing. That, yeah. Whatever. Sort of trying to be that. No, but I just like the, I just loved my, I just love glamour. I love glamour mm-hmm. and I love the humor. I love the, I guess I love the photography. Um, Did you read movie books? No, no, no. I, I was just. Was just looking no, at the I movies. No, I just looked at, you know, and then I, I guess I looked at a lot of art books though, because my dad had all these art books lying around. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a lot. Yeah, I was, I was like pretty much to myself. I didn't really have friends. I was just more in my own world. You know? <laughs> but, Your own yeah. cinematic world. But but, but the, in the cinema, I think the, the most mm. vivid experience I had as a child in the cinema was actually seeing like like a nitrate print of Dames. Mm. And, you oh, know, wow. And I think it was just, just like changed my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Those Bub- Busby Berkeley movies were fascinating. I don't know if you know anything about the life of Busby. I'm also fascinated. I know a little bit about about it. I know, what, I know he said... Um, Sorry to laugh. It's I like know he trick. was quoted as saying, whatever else they said about me, I gave him a show. <laughs> and, you know, and then I thought, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to give him a show. He was married. He was. I've always been weirdly fascinated by him because he was married like seven or eight times, but he lived with his mother. Every time every marriage would break up, he'd go back to his mom. And and uh, he was involved. I guess he drank a lot. He was got in. in, He was involved with a vehicular homicide. Yeah, that's right. That's that ruined his life. But you know the thing is, what's so interesting too is I felt like he was so much. I mean, you know, I wasn't analyzing... He created the overhead shot. You know, I wasn't analyzing this until recently. You know, obviously I wasn't analyzing this as a child. But, you know, the idea that he would take, like, these chorus girls and then he would... You would have men in military formation doing the same kinds of movements. Yeah. So there was this very... um, sort of integrated gender thing that was going on. Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of incredible. And you have these like, sassy women and these very um these 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 kind of um fey men. Yeah. And everything you know, it was really yeah. incredible. Like this it felt really egalitarian. Yes. And very aesthetic and very funny and very artistic and very poetic. I also yeah. like you know, the uh um I you know the weird obsession with Ruby Keeler. <laughs> I don't know. I used to love, when I was little. I was obsessed with Ruby Keeler. Ruby Keeler is really interesting. And when I look at her now, I was like, why was she's so like a kind of like a her? gawky kid or something? But she was so talented, like the way she could dance. Yeah. Big and did you ever see like Ann Miller's first uh, Busby Berkeley film? And she's just a gawky kid, you know. Before she became sort of yeah. Ann before Miller. she was Ann Miller, she was yeah. just like all legs, you know, thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. And um. One of the Busby Berkeley films. The uh, so you loved movies, and then at what point did you think you wanted to go maybe into filmmaking, or did you have other? Well, endeavors? well I wanted. I always wanted to be a writer. I always mm-hmm. thought I was going to be a writer, and then um, and now I am. 
a writer, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I write screenplays. But um, but then I did a lot of theater in high school, and mm-hmm. so I went to UCLA. I went to theater to to be in the theater department, and then after one quarter, I realized it wasn't for me. Because I realized don't want I don't want to act. I want to direct, mm-hmm. and I don't want to direct plays. I want to direct movies, and I, f- I figured that out at eighteen. Mm-hmm. And so then I left the I left uh, theater department. I went to the art department because you couldn't go into film into your third year. So I had to. I wanted to stay in the art wor- mm-hmm. part, you know. Right. And then I got really into the art department. I just stayed there, and so I didn't go to do um, film school till graduate school and and so what how, what was your experience going into film school like did you well, I actually went to cal arts to art school uh-huh. and then and so and then i wanted to use their film equipment so i went to this, this thing called interschool so mm-hmm. that i was so and, i wasn't really accepted into the film i was just more i yeah i just more did you find like-minded people or did everybody kind of want to be you well know? you know do you know anything about cal arts i mean <laughs> I mean, it's not. Too much. <laughs> I mean, I think I mean, of like, the NYU. Film I mean, like UCLA and... wasn't the right place for me to go to film school anyway yeah. because they're very industry minded. But CalArts was, you know, it was mainly experimental film, mm-hmm. and that's why it was perfect for me actually because I was just doing my own thing, mm-hmm. you know. So I made I made art videos in when I was in art school, and then I made some Super Eight films that were kind of modeled after the movies and musicals that I liked when right. I was um, not in school, like in between graduate, undergraduate and graduate. And, and, those, and I think the people at CalArts, they really loved those weird, those very weird um, Super 8 movies that I made. They were comparing them to Jack Smith and mm-hmm. to Kenneth Anger and stuff. And so then I realized that the art department hated my paintings. They didn't accept me for my paintings. It was for my movies. And then everybody said, you should just make movies. That's what, that's what you're good at. So yeah. Then I wanted to use the 16 millimeter equipment and not just do Super 8. So I went into the film department. So I was in both. Yeah. And then I just was still just doing my own thing there and doing my own whatever, you know. And what, I mean, because to me, the, the, did you have a hard time, um, I don't know, finding other like minded people because your, your films. Well, what do you mean, like minded people? Because you're, because. <laughs> I mean, for what? You know, you mean to talk about it with? Yeah, because I think one of the hardest things, you know, when you start out, like you said, you like old movies and you're trying no, to I find became, your aesthetic. No, I became a serious feminist when I was at Kellerts. And so that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's what that's the angle I put on it. I mean, yeah. that's where I was. That's where I was finding my content in a way is like trying to integrate my love of old movies with this with a kind of a. Uh, a sort of a now statement about being a woman in the world today. And that's mm-hmm. still what I do, you know? Yes. But I sort of tried to, I thought about, you know, this whole thing about what, what is, what is female visual pleasure? And I, I thought, I'm going to try to see what is it for me? Like, what mm-hmm. is it to create? And the word pleasure was really important in there because I felt like a lot of the work at Kellerts was not about pleasure. And then I was thinking about how a lot of, a lot of the work was very, very masculine and then a lot of the history of experimental cinema was very masculine. And the kind of um, world that I was creating was either feminine or it was a kind of a gay male more type of world. It was right. more, I guess that's why people were comparing it to things like Jack Smith, because it was like a camp world that I was kind right. of more interested in. And, um, and I thought, well, that, there's something feminist about, about like insisting on creating this kind of feminine 
camp world within this like extremely male um, world of, of very stern uh, academics who are, very, who are very much frowning on on me doing that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you're saying like-minded people, I, you know, I have to say no, not really. But yeah. uh, but but the thing is, the people in the art department were really smart and they understood what I was doing. Well, because the, so, there was a period, you know, I remember early on, you know, looking at Douglas Sirk movies when people thought they were camp and I didn't think they were camp at all. I thought they were heartbreaking. They were very beautiful. Yeah, they were. <laughs> Alison you know, Anderson. They were, I were like camp like, after the fact in a way. Right. I mean, because because then everything that, that was melodramatic or that had color. Exactly. Or, or that was even like serious. Yeah. Became camp. Anything that they took itself seriously was considered camp. Yeah. Yes. And so I think like when we enter the age of irony in the 1980s, ever since then, you can't do anything sort of grand and dramatic without people laughing at it. And I think that so in that sense, I don't know, like some of the blockbuster films, they're not calling them camp, but they but they also are, you know, Uh films like Titanic or something that Hmm. were. You yeah, know, that that's in some ways well, camp. What you know, because what I see in all of your movies, which is something that's very hard to get that tone right, is to have melodrama without it being melodramatic. That's well, it's the, coming from pain. I mean, this is yeah. the thing. You you have stuff that's coming from serious um, trauma. It's you know you're very serious about it, right? And and you're trying to express it in a way where you're not being heavy handed or obnoxious about it. I would mm-hmm. say, you know, so I don't want to make people feel bad and I don't want people, I don't want people to feel guilty and terrible. I don't want to make people cry, you know, so this is that whole thing about creating pleasure. So it's like, well, drama really is about creating catharsis. It's about creating pleasure out of tragedy or, cre- mm-hmm. or, or out of experience, right? You know, good or bad experience. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's just, so I, th- I feel like I'm just creating drama. Yeah, and so what's funny to people is when you try to create serious drama with no budget, that becomes funny. Mm-hmm. That's where it becomes camp, <laughs> because it's like the different. I think camp sometimes is the difference between the desire, the aspiration, and the reality. Hmm. It yeah. becomes pathetic, and that's where you know. And so in art school, we talked a lot about the pathetic. You know, that was a big thing that we yeah. talked about. It was like that the difference between. Where you think you are and where you are, and that's Ed Wood, right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that, and then you know, so people think you know they think you're you know ridiculous because your your aspirations are very grand because it's right. like well this is you know a cardboard set and it's you know there's it was, it was made for you know five dollars but it's obviously trying to be Douglas Sirk and uh-huh. that's something that the pathos or the you know the distance between the fantasy and the reality. But that's what theater is. I yeah. mean, you know, so, you know, people don't make fun of theater. I mean, theater is people pretending they create a world that's very, very grand. And it's all in the performances and it's all in the, you know, creating something fake. Yeah. Pretending it's real and everybody has a suspended disbelief. So I don't know why I've been such a, you know, a clown, you know, all my career. Like everyone's had to laugh so much. But, you know, it's okay. Because if I want to entertain, if you know, I, I do like so. I do want to give them a show. So if they if, they, if they're laughing, that's good. Yes. I think in a way. The um, yeah. and because there's you know there's some movies that are you know like Valley of the Dolls or you know that really are camp, but they were tr- they were going for something. I don't think Valley of the Dolls was trying to be camp. No, that's what I'm saying. Right. Is Beyond like they the were... Valley of the Dolls was camp. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but not Valley of the Dolls. But I think like some of some of Valley of the Dolls is. Is very moving, especially the parts with Sharon Tate. Yes, you know, 
parts of that. But I think now, I mean, I think it's because, you know, I have this theory. I have this theory that um, when they started to really tear down glamour starting the late 60s. Yeah, they pull off Susan Hayward. They pull off her wig. Yeah, and... they're really trying to tear down glamour. Yeah. They're re- they're, it's, it was kind of like tearing down women when they were tearing down glamour. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, and we're still there. So the idea is that anything that's feminine is laughable. So the Douglas Sirk movies are feminine because they're about women and their, you know, and their love problems or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're feminine, so they become ridiculous. So the great stars become ridiculous, you know. So like, yeah. so we, you know, when all the drag queens were doing all the film stars in the '30s, and then, and then making them into caricatures, and then the caricatures stuck. Caricatures stuck. Like, people didn't really remember, like, who the real Marlena Dietrich was, the real Judy Garland, and it just became, like, the imitations of them became the reality. And so it's kind of, I feel like, uh, I think that's maybe why I was so, I've so much been clinging to glamour, because my mother is very glamorous, and and I feel like her... Her, her just her, her glamour is, was so much part of her strength. That I feel like, mm-hmm. um, or is still, and mm-hmm. I feel that that was something um, that women had so much power when they when they were able to use glamour as one of their tools. And I'm not saying that we, all women should. And if, in fact, I love the opposite as well. I love mm-hmm. the fact that women are allowed to not be glamorous and they can be butch and they can be all these. I love that. I love the whole spectrum. So I'm not saying it's better for women to be glamorous, but I'm saying. To not be able to use that full spectrum right. is, and it, without being ridiculed is terrible because I think that was so much of women's power for so long. Mm-hmm. That, and, so, and, and, and it's a realm of play. Yeah. And so I felt like then that was like sort of given to men. So like men could play within the realm of glamour as drag queens. And then women are sort of like, it's like when women do it, it's like sad and pathetic and you're told of the patriarchy. But when a man does it, it's somehow like... He's he's so incredible because he knows he's masquerading and like you think Marlene Dietrich didn't know it was a masquerade. Mm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like you know, like these people were making an image and they were right. and they were extremely good at it. You know, it's like uh, this wasn't just men creating your image. You know, you, you know, it's like these people like they were very good. Yeah. At, at what they did and it was like so that is so I love I love the idea of resurrecting um the idea of like dignity and female glamour and um but when you do it of course it's just read as camp you know it's just read as melodrama and it's just read as like a, maybe a, like a one line joke but if I make enough movies if I'm given the opportunity to make enough movies maybe that could change and other people then would copy it cuz already I think God, there's so many young girls who are copying the style of makeup of of the lead character in The Love Witch. And right. Make, makeup tutorials. and So it's like giving young girls the permission yeah. to look incredibly feminine and glamorous, but also be kind of like scary and kind, yeah. of, and kind of strong and powerful and not be laughed at. Mm. Like, like a, oh, that's The Love Witch. And she's like a scary, right. um, terrifying, strong, amazing person. She's not like a weak silly feminine person you know so like trying to like get those images attached back yeah to, to something interesting but i think so much of those um images especially you know with the eye makeup um we you know when we grew up in the watching movies you know the betty davis and joan crawford and marlena dietrich and 
those wonderful photographs of them, they all had that really interesting identity. And, and when they would change their hair, it would be a really big deal or change their eyebrows. But that's all carnival and play, right? And, yeah. And we're so missing that in today's world. Hmm. No, I, I miss it completely. Yeah. You know, um, another thing I was going to say is she's wearing a hat. And I, I always love in the, in old movies. Well, I'm obsessed with hair anyway, hair and I'm obsessed. <laughs> And so many times in an old movie, you know, if something great would happen to the woman, she'd get a new hat. Right. You know, that was always... <laughs> Well, I thought she'd sh- that was something to show her craziness. The idea is that if she's been invited to a tea room and she's like, oh, I have my tea room outfit right here. I'm yeah. going to change into that, you know. So. Um, no, I love her. And then my boyfriend was sick because when I got, when I you know, dressed that hat and I, he said, she's not going, you can't have her wear that hat. <laughs> He's like, that's way too much. That's way too over. I said, no, she's wearing that hat. He says, What's you can't so do that. But, I, you know, and he yeah. understands my work. But he was just like, that's because, you know, because it takes it to this this other level of where it's like it is. It's like Mary Poppins or it's like it, it evokes all of these things that are so specific about yes. the past. And I thought he he thought I didn't. He thought I, w- I didn't want to go there. I said, no, I want to go there. <laughs> but that becomes a very iconic image. Well, I think you're right. It's like somewhere it got thrown out this idea that, you know, dressing up and doing girly things suddenly be- became frowned upon. Became, became stupid, I think. And it did happen somewhere in the late 60s, early 70s. And Maybe um, with Gloria Steinem and feminism and burning your bra. I think it was more... I, I th- It was partly that, but I think it was more... It was more the men that did it. I don't think it was the women that did it. Oh, in what way, the men? Because all the serious, quote-unquote, cinema uh-huh. was just, like, men outside instead of women inside. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then the silly movies were just... Okay, so, so like, women's movies are just, like... For, now now they're just on TV. Like, you can't <laughs> watch them in the movie. The, and the critics don't review them anymore, and it's just girls and... It yeah. just becomes like, oh, it's just like one big dumb like prom or whatever, and hmm. it's just like well, it's not cinema, it's not serious. I know I was it's definitely not. upset when movies like Cabaret kind of went out of style. Like that, I was obsessed with yeah. Liza Minnelli. Like I was obsessed with that, and I thought, well, I want to walk around with a kimono and my yeah. hair and green nails, and yeah. I just that would have been my role model. But then somehow we got into the '80s and Christy Brinkley, and the look just completely. I mean, I think it was really, I think it was, I really think, I really think it was the sexual revolution that ruined everything because there was just too much proliferation of women as sex symbols. Mm -hmm. And I think that turned women off from wanting to be feminine Hmm. because then it made them, they feel like objects. And there was that then the feminist talk, but I just think, I feel like then being pretty or just being feminine or something then became like, well, then you're going to be an object. I think that the, 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 Mm -hmm. the, there's the violence of of the strong wave of sexism coming from like the men's magazines and everything was so powerful that it's, that women just, they did need to need to rebel against it somewhat. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it just became like weird for everyone instead of pleasurable and great and right. fabulous it just became first of all ridiculous and then old fashioned and then it you know mm-hmm. it's you know and everything was about i don't know it just it just was such an onslaught and it was like it changed the meaning of those beautiful glamorous women it, it the top when they were toppled off their throne it then became like rather than they it was them doing their own thing and they were strong women and they had everything it was somehow when women I guess became reduced down to their body then it was like they just wanted to cover their body up or make their body 
dress like a man or something. It just mm-hmm. became, and I remember, you know, wanting to cut my hair short and wanting to, you know, dress punk and right. not wanting to be feminine as well. I mean, I just remember like not, like, you know, we, girls with long hair were stupid or, you know what I mean? It uh-huh. was like a thing where, you know, you feel like, like being a woman and being feminine is about, you know, being a man's tool and you don't want to be that. Mm-hmm. But before that, when men were respectful to women, um, for the most part, uh, that, that, well, that wasn't happening. The um, So your first movie, which was Viva, was explored the idea of, you know, the kind of the swinging 60s, swinging 70s. Yeah, it's actually about that when we're talking about. It's about yeah. how the sexual revolution sort of... Um, was like really terrible for women. Yeah, and it was it, seemingly... it was great for men. It was great for men. It was about how that was. A, it was like a, a yes. It was like a fake world. That Playboy world was like a fake world. Like it was creating as if it was sexual freedom for everyone, but it was really just a playground for men. And it I... just women were kind of. So I like I had this idea that like women are everywhere in Playboy magazine, but they're actually not there at all. They're invisible. They have no personality they're just a body Mm -hmm. so everything they're selling you know the cars and the stereos and the liquor and the book club and the women themselves they're all it's all being sold to men but women are just like a bottle of liquor they're just a record or something they're not like a a person anymore that's what it seems like that to me becomes the sort of the big change that's the big change playboy era yeah that's what changed everything i think yeah creating a lifestyle so viva was like this kind of so i was trying to do this experiment it was like a kind of a militant movie about that but that's also really ridiculous and also can be read as a movie almost condoning that lifestyle because i'm i I tried to make it really fuzzy Mm -hmm. because i thought i want to make a feminist movie but not at all didactic i just want to be like weird I just want to be a kind of absurdist about it and not be clear at all. Mm. Not to be, not to be. Because I think I'd had criticisms that some of my short films were didactic. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to make a movie that's not at all didactic and that isn't going to threaten men. I'm going to give them plenty of nudity. And I'm going <laughs> to, because everyone was asking for nudity. They wanted me to do nudity. And so I said, I'm going to do nudity, do lots of sex and nudity, and I'm going to have it completely about male fantasy. Um, and not be didactic at all, but it's going to be my movie and it's going to, it's going to be my point of view. Mm-hmm. I thought that's an experiment. I'm going to try that. It's like a Trojan horse. You're sort of sneaking <laughs> in. I, lo- I mean, it's, it's really, it's kind of glamour on your own terms, right? Like that's what I'm hearing is you just want to achieve a culture where women are able to dress how they want to dress for women, not for men. Yeah, that's what I was, that, that is what I want to do. But for the love, which, um, it was really, it, it was much more, co- it really commentary, on Playboy magazine, just in the sense of like, just this little, you just do this one little thing is you just put the woman's point of view or the woman's consciousness into Playboy magazine and see what that is. So just mm-hmm. take that Playboy world, make it exactly how it is, don't change anything, but just have the central character be a woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and have her be the one that that is experiencing things and not, it's yeah. like how she experiences that world if she lives in it. And that's a world that never existed except inside of the, a magazine. Right. Well, they had. I was thinking, you know, that there was all these movies like Alfie, where he could go from woman to woman to woman, and and people lifted him up and thought he was, you know, great. But if a woman does the same thing, she's either got to be a whore, or yeah, no, exactly, die at the end, or yeah, <laughs> punished. She got to be punished in, um, in, uh, in some way. Um, 
I was, so I want to ask about the Love Witch that you do, that everything on screen is pretty much what you do. The sets, the costumes. Well, no, not really. Not the makeup and not the lighting. And those are incredibly important. important. Yeah. yeah. So, um, How did you find a, a, a person, the lighting person, that would understand your aesthetic? Well, he's somebody I already knew. I went to school with him. Or, you know, well, we went to the same school. Yeah. And so we knew some people coming. He shot my short, The Hypnotist. and um, Which is great. It's playing on Criterion, yeah. if anyone has Criterion. Yeah. And so he, I, I knew he knew how to do the, the style. We were both obsessed with the old movies. But he'd studied all the lighting. He'd studied the lenses. He'd studied everything wow. about it. And I was interviewing dozens of DPs, and none of them knew anything. They didn't know about the style. They didn't know the movies. They right. didn't know... They didn't even know, a lot of them didn't even know anything about lighting at all because they just like point and shoot, you know, available yeah. light, whatever. There was this, you know, and so I thought I got to get him. I got to get David. So I kept kind of um, prodding David until he had an opening. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of the star of him. I just wait. It wasn't like you wait for the actors to be available. The actors were all on hold. It was until David became available because <laughs> I knew it was so important to get the oh. lighting. Crucial. Yeah. And so certain scenes, like some of these extreme close-ups, which, you know, I haven't seen in a movie since I was thinking, like, Norman Jewison and, uh, <laughs> and the, I can't, the, I'm blanking on the movie, with uh, Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, you know, the eye. Oh, that, oh, oh, um, yeah. Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but everybody yeah, knows what it is. Right, that, is. um. Thomas Crown Affair. Thomas Crown Affair, Jeez, yeah. my brain. Right. But, uh, so how do you achieve a shot like that? What do you mean? You just use a, a you know, use use a long lens. <laughs> well, it's, no, but that's. I mean, I'm you know, fascinated. Oh well, you have you know, you have a you, first She's of all, you, keep very first still. of all, you cast a be- very beautiful actress, and then you, um, you know, and then you have you put her in perfect makeup, and you put her in perfect lighting, and then not you, the easiest thing. And then you, the... you know, you get the right lens, and then you, you have to try to get her not to cry in the hot lights and yes <laughs> yeah, i love how you go oh you just pour it it's like that um, takes you for- know and there's yeah the, you put filters on the lenses and you, yeah you know you do things you know but um it's so amazing so what while you were uh, i'm getting ahead of myself the um how do you get in the casting process everybody to know what tone it is you're shooting? Because again, you know, people ask me this all the time, and so I had so much fun with the Love Witch because what I actually did with the Love Witch was I had casting sessions, mm-hmm. and I cast the people that were already acting the way I imagined that I wanted the <laughs> acting to be, and then I didn't direct them at all on the set, and I just, they just did they just did their own thing. Yeah, except for the lead, and the way I worked with her was different because. I think she wasn't taking the script seriously, I have to say. Like, mm-hmm. she wasn't connecting. I think it's because she was very young, and I'm doing this style that, I mean... So, I didn't tell her to do any particular style, but what we just watched a lot of movies. Uh-huh. We watched a lot of old movies, and then um, I tried to get her to connect to it so she wasn't doing it as camp. So, actually, I worked with her in the opposite way, to try not to say the lines as camp, and to take her role seriously and to connect to it, to the tragedy of it, and to mm-hmm. the longing and everything to try to get her to be more sincere. That's the work I did with her because I think she didn't she didn't understand. I think she th- saw it more of a, as a spoof or something. Do right. you know what I mean? It was like getting her to kind of get invested in it and not not to to take it seriously, I think. Yeah. This was some work, but that wasn't... What's interesting is that when she did do that, like her performance came out like... 
the way it did, which is very weird because I didn't tell her to do, <laughs> I, I didn't tell her to do anything, period. I was just trying to get her to connect. So she did something very, like, um, strange, I think very, very um, magnificent, like very um, mannered in a way. Yeah. But she's a very, she's a very interesting person. She's originally English and she has a very, like, formal way of speaking. Mm-hmm. She has a beautiful speaking voice. And I felt like that, those kind of um, cadences that she had, that, that's really actually how, kind of how she talks. Right. So, so that's what I did is I cast people who have the kind of personality and way of talking mm-hmm. that I thought fit with the movie. I was thinking, because I know you like Hitchcock and is... Uh... Kim Novak has that weird stilted. I'm obsessed you know what with I think, you Kim know what Novak. I think creates, she's got that. You know what I think creates that stilted quality in what? actresses? What? I think it's <laughs> trying to do a part where you're feeling the part, but at the same time looking ultim- like the ultimately beautiful, glamorous. Mm, yeah. So it's a way of like not disarranging your face. But I also told her not to make a bunch of funny faces because... So it kind of like if you tell people like sort of not to mumble or slur their words and to speak very clearly and mm-hmm. also not to make a lot of funny faces, um, it can look actually kind of strange like that. And because I, I think that's how they were directing the actresses also like in the 50s is, is to always look beautiful. Right. So you can do whatever you want as long as you don't make like an ugly face. Or <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see <laughs> you know the I mean? thing so. with George Cougard directing Paulette Goddard? And no. that's what he keeps telling. He goes, Paulette, relax your face. Relax your face. And and it, you get that weird, deadened quality. The kind of weird, dead quality, but it's the but it's, 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 a be- it's the quality of trying to look uh, beautiful in the light while you're acting. I yeah. think that's what it is. I wish they, tra- I wish they taught you, uh, taught people that. It's hard to do while you're yes. also connecting with a character. Yeah, I mean, I learned, I tried to learn how to do that on Viva. My performance is really weird in Viva. I know it's very <laughs> stilted, but it's because I was trying to not make a lot of faces, you know? Uh, it's almost so. like a self-consciousness that informs the performance in a way. Is that but right? Isn't that, but isn't also, that's also what it is like being a woman right. who's constantly being looked at. Yeah, the demands. Who's constantly having to give some sort of a performance, mm. you know? Which is all the time. Which I is mean, all the right. time, and so when women are used to that. So all yeah. you do is like dial it up a little bit hmm. because you wear because when you're aware a camera's on you, you dial it up anyway, right? You know, and then when you're in makeup, and then when you're lighting, and then when you have people watching you, like on the crew, then that can actually become a kind of nervousness that mm-hmm. can create the stiltedness at yeah. some point. You know, like it's like a, I don't think it ever goes away. Yeah. Like every inter- if if you're doing an interview, I always. I'm thinking about how I look. It never mm-hmm. goes away. Even well, that's why most... we're doing this as an audio, because <laughs> I didn't want to have to do that. I didn't want to have to as a strange like, it's frozen in... face or else just be really, right. really goofy looking. But it's an ingrained quality. Even if something goes well, when I leave, I think, I wonder if I look good, though. Yeah, and it's I don't think men, are, I don't think no, men, men never... have that. Like when you interviewed Larry and Scott, I was thinking uh, they clearly wouldn't have cared how they looked. No, at all, you know, they couldn't even cross their mind. I know. And yeah. they, they, that's uh, nice. That's a nice luxury. And I love Larry because, you know, Chris, he's like me. He's obsessed with all. He's got all the obscure sort of films, and references, and all all of that. I, you know, that I love. Um, I'm curious. Do you care? Because sometimes, you know, I did this show, Trailblazing Women, and some people were really 
Like they didn't want to be known as a female director. They were a director. But I feel like your films are specifically Yeah, I'm trying to be I'm, I'm trying to be a female like, director. I I, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with being a female director. Well, I can understand that if your work isn't specifically about being female, it's not about female identity, it's not about female consciousness. You're, right. you're trying to tell universal stories and some of your characters are men or you tell men's stories, you're telling human stories. Yeah. That you wouldn't want to that would just feel like a, being put in some sort of a ghetto or something. I can see that. But if you're trying, like like I'm trying to do, is to try to make a thing out of being female, like trying yeah. to, to create like a cinema out of that special experience of of being female, mm-hmm. of having a female consciousness and a female life experience, then, you know, obviously, it's kind of like how, like, Fassbinder, you know, is like a gay filmmaker. It's not, right. it, like, it's not, it, like, it's part of his work, mm-hmm. you know. I feel like I lean a little bit more towards your point of view because you're saying that you have a... What I love about your movies is you're, you're infusing a certain aesthetic into the film and saying, you know, as I was watching the movie, I was thinking, God, it would be so great to have Anna direct, you know, Wonder Woman or, you know, so it wouldn't have... So it wouldn't feel like it doesn't have any identity at all, any female identity. Yeah, well... I don't think they would like what I did with Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh my God, I would love it. Yeah, like um, go around I, was, I had people. a meeting about about some blockbuster film or something, and I got uh-huh. home and my boyfriend said, "Little do they know that you're going to do it like the Music Man." <laughs> <laughs> the other um, did. Did you read reviews of your movie? Because in in preparation for this, I was reading reviews, and I I, I have to say, like, I was slightly. I said, "There they go again." Like, they, she's kind of a control freak. Was like one of the things because you did everything ver- versus if a man did that, he's a they, genius. He's a genius. He does everything. Jack of all trades. I don't like it when people focus on what I did or didn't do on the film, other than directing, because yeah. you know, because it has to be done. And I didn't have the money to hire really good people, and so I just did it. And I don't think it's like, I'm not like, I would maybe have not put my name on it. I would have just done this thing where I didn't, you know, I right. it doesn't, I don't think it really matters, like, who did the costumes or whatever. I, you know, I was sewing. Matters to men. I was sewing for a year and a half, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, which was, you know, which was weird, because then I had to just be sewing for a very long time. But um, you know, because of those Renaissance costumes, they took a long. They were, they were oh, they're incredible. Yeah, because I, you know, and there was a special reason for that. I was ill at the time. I had this weird like vertigo, and I couldn't um, actually. I was too sick to go on a set. So that decision to sew became because I could actually I had the energy to sew, and I could mm-hmm. do that. But I couldn't set up a studio where I hire seamstress or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, I could. I didn't have that kind of. You know what I mean? So it was like. It made sense to do that. Yeah. You know, but... It's pragmatic. There is no... It was pragmatic more than it was about control. Right. But it's also because I have high standards, and I did actually try to hire people, and I I got a lot of resumes and portfolios, and they weren't, they weren't up to par. And right. And I knew that I could do better, mm-hmm. so, for my budget. And I thought yeah. the, the budget I had, I couldn't have hired, like, the kind of costume designer I needed I just had too small of a budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that um, I feel that's an issue that women face. Whereas I'll look at men's movies sometimes, and I think they got exactly the production designer that they wanted. Mm-hmm. But I feel that sometimes women have a harder time explaining 
what it is they they want. Now, I, I guess explaining isn't the right word. I've had a hard, a really hard time with the art department, but I don't think that's. I have because too. I'm. So I don't know if that that's because that. I'm a woman or if it's because it's really hard to find good art department I think it's people, really and I think hard. they're really expensive and really in demand. Yeah, and I think I haven't had the budget. So I think that's really what it is. Yeah. So then, in yeah. the end, you do it yourself because you know that that because well, I can do I can do as good a job as. As is as, as a designer that I can't afford. Yeah. <laughs> so, in know. that sense, I admire somebody like Agnes Varda that always got her aesthetic in her films. You know, I think, well, is that the answer? You just go to France, <laughs> a small group of people, because because the aesthetic of her films is not a big budget, but yet everything just she she picks every single, you know, prop. It's and kind of it's and, kind of incredible. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. I really admire her. She's yeah. one of my, I love her, you know, I love her films. Um, the next question I was going to ask uh, is some of the dialogue. I saw the film at the old Cine Family. Okay. And uh, it was a huge hit there. And it was really, you know, going over well with the sort of the Silver Lake crowd. I was mentioning this to Jeff because I wanted you to get into the conversation. You know, the men were laughing quite a bit, but I sort of wondered. Did they realize that they were kind of being made fun of? I don't know. Just talk about that. I have, a no, bit. I have no idea. I really don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't well, know. All the um, men, you know. I mean, the theme of the movie is all the men. You know, well, the definitely men some of the, the some of the characters hysterical. are being made fun of, but they were making fun of themselves too. Like that first guy who plays a professor. Obviously Great actors was doing a was doing an obviously comic performance on purpose. So it is funny, you know. All the um, actors in the movie. Again, I don't know if it's them or you, but they were spot on that they never went into camp. They never. Well, you again, know. you know, the thing is, is I didn't cast name actors for this. Um, so I did get to cast the people that did exactly the acting I wanted. Mm. Yeah. Know? So I just. No, they took it very seriously. So they. So I, I was casting people who were not making fun of it when yeah. they were doing their audition. You know, who yeah. understood what I, they understood what I was trying to do. You know? Which I can't imagine is the easiest thing in the world to be. It was very hard because well, I didn't exp- I didn't explain anything. Again, it was just these people came in. And they gave me those performances, and you know the the British woman who played Drish, she was incredible. I thought she, she was great. She was she's sort of like the Lee Grant character in Valley of the Dolls a little bit. You know, little shades of that. I love. She her. kind of reminded me of Anna Massey, um, oh, you know, a British actress. Yes, was another in Frenzy great. Yes, um, Peeping Tom. Yeah. yeah. A great yeah. actress. You probably need that, though, for such a specific aesthetic. You just need a team that gets it. You don't really have time to be playing marionette. You just have to assemble your team and shoot the film, probably. Yeah, and it's going to be actually a lot... It'll be a lot harder when I need to cast name actors. Right. Because they may not necessarily ace it, like, get it. And then right. And I'll have to, like, work with them, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true. It'll be harder. Because the, these people, I just got the people who already got it. And I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I, that's true. Taking, but, you know, taking the pauses. But it'd be so exciting for me because I haven't done this to work with really top, experienced actors that mm-hmm. are have a lot of experience. I mean, I, I'd really love to do that. That's, that seems like it's going to be. I'm hoping to do that next time, and it should be it should be really interesting. I feel like it would be fun to put people through their paces like that. I don't know. You might have an easier time with the women than with the men. I know men have, maybe have a hard time. I always have a I always have a really easy, great time with actors. I've never had a problem with any actor, male or female. Um, 
I mean, I've never worked with big actors, though. Yeah. Which have much bigger egos, so I don't know. No. Just find the right ones, I think. There's plenty yeah. of A- A-list actors who I think are looking for... Luckily, I think right now, hopefully, we're in a climate when people are wanting those roles that actually push them, that yeah. you know, force them to make choices that they're never going to be able to make yeah. in a blockbuster film. I think if people are just having fun and not taking themselves too seriously, right. but, but just getting into wanting to create the drama that's there, yeah. they should do a good job. I don't think it's about creating a style. I think yeah. it's more like if people bring their, you know, their top game to it as actors yeah it shouldn't have to be a style i don't think it's a style of acting i just don't like when people mumble i like them to enunciate <laughs> and project you know because i use these mic you know i like to use a boom, i used to like I, I like to use a boom mic i like to use a nagra and you have to project because yes. it's not like a little mic you know right here right i know we know? were ta- that's what we were talking so, about so so the, the actors have yeah. have to have a voice and they have to project the voice mm-hmm. And that so that you can hear it, so it gets recorded on that beautiful quarter-inch magnetic tape. You know, poor, um, poor Photocam. You know, I got this email from them when I was in post, and they were like, kind of, kind of a whiny email. They were like, "Are you done with your sound yet? Because we want to put away the um, quarter-inch transfer machine. We want to put it back in storage." Oh, no, that's so sad. Um, I even love the girl who's uh, the secondary witch working in the witch store. She's oh, she so was great. great. She was so it's great. A small right? part, but she was perfect. She was really amazing. I know. Like, yeah. So, it, 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 the uh, were you, did you have a lot of Wiccan? Like, what's your Wiccan research? Oh, I did a lot of research. <laughs> I did. Well, you know, so a big I hung, Wiccan. I hung around. With a lot of witches, I went to rituals. I read a lot of books. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh oh. What kind of rituals? Like, did you go to where is it? Pasadena is that where? I went to the uh, the Green Man store. They have rituals there. Oh God! I don't know. (laughs) It's near here. It's in North Hollywood. See, I like the the mundane (laughs) quality of her performance was spot on. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, witches are just, you know, her hair. They're just like people. Yeah. But so anyway, I interrupted you. So the Wiccan, uh, the 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 there are there's more witches than we think, right? In the world, I was in Tucson. There Arizona. were a lot of witches. Yeah, you you know lots of witches probably that yes. you don't realize they're witches. No, I was in Tucson, Arizona, and I suddenly found myself talking to a Satanist. <laughs> they're very apparently they're really. Oh into- yeah, I have a dear friend who's a Satanist. And he's the sweetest guy in the world. <laughs> I, he's an opera singer. So Tucson, um, if you want yeah. to meet some Satanists, Tucson, Tucson, Arizona. There you go. The big community. <laughs> big community. And unfortunately, the guy's driving the car, so I was like, okay, don't don't say anything <laughs> bad, or he's going to drive off the road. But uh, they were telling me a lot about their philosophies. It's a lot of sex. That's what I got out of the going back to the sexual uh, re- re- revolution. Do you think that men on some subliminal level feel women are witches when they get when they fall in love and cast a spell oh, on them? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and I think in general, and I think it's both in the positive and negative connotations. Yeah. Like, you know, women are these magical, beautiful witches when they fall in love with them, and men are, you know, evil witches yeah. when they don't like them. You know, how everyone was calling Hillary Clinton a witch who didn't like her. No. You know, that kind of thing. It's so strange that it hasn't dissipated in any... <laughs> your movie like cuts to the heart it's, of that when the guy has the whole speech at the end about women 
and being, oh, I would never fall in love with this woman. And, you know, I, I was, you know, and, and again, like, I, it just seems to me that people laugh at the film. Well, but, but, he's, then they never... but he's expressing like a very, very ordinary, common type of male fear of falling in love or being a dependent on a yeah. woman. You know, yeah. And it's great after she is. Do, do women impose a lot of fantasies on men that are just completely in their head that aren't? reflective at all like the you know the man on the the night on the you know the night well everybody's always imposing their fantasies on one another hmm. i think like i think the wedding fantasies and the night fantasies like a lot of women have them and they they won't admit it you know yeah but even some of those things like you know renaissance fairs where people dress up their horses and, uh, you know, when they put like medieval trappings on the horses and they dress yeah. like a princess and a hennen and they go out. I mean, people do that. People have these medieval, you know, they have, they have all these, they have all these blogs and things where people yeah. are making like medieval clothing and stuff and they in boots and they make swords and everything. And they go out and they have like a party and they go and they, you know, and they, they, oh, I know what it is. They dress their horse as a unicorn. That's the thing because I bought a, a horn. I was able to find <laughs> a unicorn horn <laughs> that was made by these people because there's such a demand for a horn. And it's like made so that you can really uh. affix it to a horse. And and so I, I made a unicorn horn. I didn't think it was good enough. And then I was looking and found a place yeah. where you can get a, a horn for your horse. That's and you know, awesome. and and these people, and they're very intense, so they didn't make any of this up. Yeah, with their, know? with their, with. Uh, well, everybody likes to play dress up, mm-hmm. right? I think. I also think that, um, you know, that men and women are sort of starved for any kind of romance. You know, it, it, it romance kind of went out the window. And everybody's mm-hmm. so embarrassed now of having any feelings or. Well, I, I think that's because the the romantic movies got bad. Like, why not have romance movies that are good? You know, like Hitchcock's movies, you know? Yeah. Like really good cinema. If you made, like, if you had good soundtracks and you had, like, good stories and scripts and you didn't yeah. have it be all schmaltzy, I think what happened is they, they started trying to cater to a very low denominator of sappy women without a lot of knowledge of cinema. When right. they're making romances, they're just catering to, like, a very low common denominator, just trying to you know, get people's emotions out, like very maudlin, sentimental things that didn't have a lot of value other than to just make people cry or something. Yeah. And they turned out a bunch of those, and that sort of killed the romance, I think. Well, I also think a lot of men were the people directing the movies, (laughs) not women. Yeah, writing and directing the movies, that's true. But I just think, like, again, that happened when the the whole pornography thing came in, because it Mm -hmm. was like, then you have sex marketed to men and romance marketed to women. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, where all the movies had sex and romance and every, where they were for everyone. <laughs> you know, men, young men today are sometimes so astonished by the fact that a movie like All About Eve made in 1950, it's a woman's picture, but it was it was for everyone. You know, the, all the lead yeah. characters are women and it's it's about this these actresses and it's it was for everyone they they, mm-hmm. they can't but they're blown away to think <laughs> that it's like a mass marketed movie that won all these oscars and there wasn't any reluctance on the part of men to go you know to see well, any women, of these movies I women mean, drove the they were the movie going yeah, audience and they were but so the movies but the were, men made were for not them. yeah but the men flocked to those movies yeah. and 
you know, and they weren't, nobody was like disparaging them or putting no. them down or calling, but now men will call a movie like that a chick flick. <laughs> yeah. You know, like great cinema like that. So I feel like you can have a great movie, and if the protagonist is a woman, then suddenly it's a chick flick. <laughs> yeah. It's like Bridesmaids. Weird. Bridesmaids suffered from that. I mean, like that movie was a cultural and financial smash because it's a great film. But even still, I felt like guys were surprised that they liked it. Mm -hmm. It's like, why not just enjoy the movie because it's, like, very funny and well-written, you Mm -hmm. know? I I think that's... I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's really become, like... It's all just the marketing people and it's all that thing, you know? I think it it is. I want to try to make movies for for everyone. The... the, (laughs) Well, yeah, that's the, you know... And that's that's why I do want to put... I mean, I do like to put sex and romance in and some horror... And yeah. some, you know, you know, to put it all in, you know, the stuff everyone, I think, and I think women obviously like sex and horror and everything too, you know. All so. right. Women love horror. There's yeah. like a whole genre of, you know, people that like movies like that. Um, another correlation with the old timey movies of the forties, like, you know, something like Mildred Pierce, is that in, in your movie, the, in this in the love witch, the men are sort of one-dimensional and the women are very, very multi-dimensional. And in that sense, it reminded me a little bit of Mildred Pierce. Oh, Mildred Pierce is one of my favorite things. my favorite things because I'm like, why are they obsessed with Zachary Scott? He's like the most (laughs) one-dimensional guy. And the the daughter wants, he wants him. And Jack Carson, like, gee, her choice of men is is one of my favorite things about the movie. Because it's like... Because he's just kind of a, a slick... He's kind of a slick guy. Yeah. You know, that they, they think is some, something. Um, yeah. And the uh, and I love that you were able to do that in your film. It doesn't mean that the acting is one-dimensional, because I think the acting is terrific. But they, you know, that's what makes it sort of fun. Well, it's, it's kind of like a fairy tale, because you have three men, you know, and then the first man is this, or it's like Goldilocks or something, you know. And then, yeah. then the first man, and then the third man is just right. Yeah. Hmm. But then he's the one that you know. So tell she me can't about have. tell me about the man. Her the first because we don't really see him. The man who is her, I guess her fiance or oh the man her first her husband that, her husband that who we mysteriously keep... died. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he died like from a... drinking a potion. And it looks yeah. like she was there because she seems to have seen it in her memory. Yes, I love that you never and you just see it in flashes. Um. So what was his? He, you know, he's again. He's got this great look about him. What, what you know? What was the? He, he could have been anybody, but why does he look like that? Does she have a type? Oh, I don't know. I cast him because I love the way he looked, and you know, says goofy. He no, he can't. He has a period like he's a real seventies, I can rock and roll type of look. I thought, uh huh, yeah, and he, he just looked like a, he just looked like a guy. Like in one of those sixties or seventies movies, that would be the jerk, right? That the woman that would ruin the woman's life, you know, that yeah. would have an affair, and that would, you know what I mean? <laughs> but that she would still always be in love with, and she'd look at his photo, look, yeah. And, and he'd be kind of look, he'd kind of be kind of cute and handsome, but kind of, 
kind of seemed like an asshole at the same time. He just had all that about him, and it just it was in his face. I thought it was interesting. So I thought, I don't have to have him talking or anything. You just show his picture. It was perfect. <laughs> now, the other thing, and again, I don't know if this is purposeful or not, is that each man seems to represent a different prototype in a woman's love life. Right. Like, okay, well, that didn't work out. So what I really need is someone who's a professor of, poetry and he'll understand oh well that didn't work out so what i really need is a straight laced cop was there any sort of thinking behind well obviously you have to make them different (laughs) but i thought it was uh but it wasn't really uh, maybe i'm project now i'm projecting my own fantasies of like well that kind of guy didn't work out so now i'll go with this type of guy oh yeah obviously that's what you do and you have to make them all different you know because it's like a you know. But yet they all have the same fear of uh, in now in your own Being engulfed. Yeah. Now what, when you're when you're with someone like a boyfriend or whatever, and they see this movie, do they go, "Holy, <laughs> I didn't know you were this bad." You know, like I, 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 are you ever afraid to express these ideas in cinnamon cinema? Because I think sometimes you know, because the man, because you know, because what my type is, my type of man uh-huh. is an intellectual. So there you, I never have those problems. Well, they would think, so they'd watch, <laughs> how very dare, daring of you to put all these No, because we're, t- cause in, cause, cause we're, si- we're, we're sitting there, we're talking about Jung or Nietzsche <laughs> or something. We're not, you know, he's not taking it personally. <laughs> I always cut out, I cut out pictures of couples that I, you know, usually they're writers or something, holding hands or together their writers. whole lives. Yeah, so my boyfriend's a writer. Oh, well, so that's good. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe Evolved. I need, Maybe I need a Wiccan in my. <laughs> Maybe I need my own love, my own love potion. No, I mean, but I've heard that this has happened with other couples, like where the woman is a huge fan of the love, and she serves her boyfriend, and so it freaks him out. <laughs> so it's it. happened. It's my life yeah. story. I've said, told this story a million times, but uh, I love the heartbreak kid. Elaine May. Oh, that's a great film. And every time I would try to show it, I'd be when a real. Oh, you've never seen the Heartbreak Kid. Oh, we got to see it. And then they would have some horrible reaction, like, "Why that's are you showing me this movie?" And I would think because yeah, I think it's funny, but I. <laughs> but they're they're terrified that you'll 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 be like her. Or something. Yes. <laughs> and and then I got to know Jeannie Berlin, the star oh, yeah. of the movie, and uh-huh. I told her this funny story. She's so funny. In and that. she said, "You have to stop showing people the Heartbreak Kid." <laughs> And I said, but it's my, if you don't like that movie, then how could you possibly? I, I don't know. So I oh, haven't, I I haven't found the and one she's yet. she's so great in that. Oh, yeah. my God. It's, the, it's yeah. my favorite. I love uncomfortable comedy, you know. Um, the uh, I was just thinking, it's totally off my top of my head. Do you like Noel Coward at all? Would you ever think about doing something that is stylized? Noel Coward. I love Noel Coward. But that's Noel Coward is like my alter ego. It's like who I would be if I was a different, if I could be See, anybody. I picked it up. I'm a witch. <laughs> Noel Coward. The cinema witch. I, I have his song books. I, I sing his songs. I play them on the piano. I I adore adore him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I plays. I don't know. I mean, what I really love, I love his short stories and I love his yeah. songs. Um, but I was just thinking that... His plays are a little dated for today. They you know, are. And it, spirit and those things are a little... Yeah. Da- they're dated for today. I find them dated. But his short stories are not dated. It's interesting. They date, They don't date. I mean, yeah. his short stories are incredible. But his music... His is music what, his is music incredible. His music is what I love so much. And I yeah. do... I have, you know... Uh, 
all his songs and I sing them all the time. I play them all the time. But I think that would be fun for you to adapt, you know, something of his because it already has a built-in sort of style. And then maybe you could twist it in some odd way. Well, maybe I'll look, I'll look at more of his plays. But I haven't, like, been that impressed with the play, his plays yeah. as much as his other stuff. I haven't, you know, I haven't, I, I, I go in phases like where I would totally be into someone and then I'm off of them. And, but I was, well, I never go off of Noel Coward, but it's, 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 to me, it's it's his, it's his music that is the most incredible. Which are wonderful. Yeah. And he had an interesting life story too. I always love his, you know, God, he lived such a great life and he knew everyone. Um, one scene I want to talk about, which I love, is when the girl goes in, uh, when her friend comes in and puts on, her, <laughs> puts on her wig and her makeup, and then they have a fight scene. So tell me about that scene. It's so great. It's like, you don't think about it before it's happening, but then when it is happening, you go, oh, this is perfect. She's going to put on all her things. And... <laughs> well, I, I was thinking, because I had some way to get her over to the house to see that to some way to figure out that she's been seeing Richard, you know, right. her husband. And so I thought, well, she's going to be in Elaine's bedroom and she's going to get curious. You yeah. know, she's going to get interested yeah. and, and she's going to be, you know, she has, she always, she, you know, she, she, she thought Elaine was beautiful and she was kind of obsessed with her from the very beginning. That's why they became friends, even though they're so opposite. Mm-hmm. So I think most women have that side of them where they flirt with the idea of doing the glamour. Oh, I also so- wanted to keep kind of, emphasizing the fact that glamour isn't like you you don't you're not just like born glamorous that it's a it's a disguise and it's yeah. like it's like a choice and it's a choice anyone can make and it isn't just like trish is a plain one and elaine is a pretty one it's like either of them can make either choice you know, right. to be however, however they want it's a choice and it's a and it's a it's it's a it's a identity thing mm-hmm. and so trish wanted to see what it was like to be to have this long hair and this wear these eyelashes and do this thing. I love it. And you know, and she ended up kind of enjoying it for a moment until Elaine came in and she realized <laughs> until she saw what who Elaine was and then she then yeah. she felt horrible and ridiculous in it. You know. Um, and this and it's really sad too because I feel like she lost her husband. She lost her identity, and I think that the sad thing was like she was thinking, well, I lost my husband to a woman who was doing the glamour thing, who looked like this. And right. maybe maybe if I look like that, maybe I wouldn't have lost him. Mm-hmm. Or maybe now I need to look like that. And it's actually, it puts like a very negative, sour spin in a way on the glamour thing. Because it's like if you're the type of woman who doesn't want to do it and it doesn't feel like you, to have to do it to please mm-hmm. men is a horrible thing. So I wanted to show both sides of that. Yeah, You know, the side where... For Elaine, it really is um, empowering. But for Trish, it isn't empowering. It's just more... It's like she, she does it in, in a moment of despair. So it isn't who she is, and it, does, it isn't what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's like she's completely lost who she is and her whole sense of self. I also like it because I think it's a symbol of, of women's power. Like, if you've ever... You know, when you stay at a house, some woman's house, and you go into her bedroom, and you know, like when I go into my mom's room, and it, her jewelry, and it's just <laughs> such a ghost. You know, such a presence there that women have yeah. that you you don't really touch their things <laughs> in a way, and, and maybe it's it reminded me of that women don't really realize, in a sense, how much how much of a persona they really 
have. It's so know? much not, I think it is so much better when women are aware of it and use it consciously. I think a lot of young women now are doing that. I love it. I love the way women are now wearing false eyelashes and wearing Thank God. You know, all kinds of... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, they're playing old, with it. They're playing yeah. with it. It's like something that's an option for them. Again, yeah. You know, my, my wife does not dress for me. She dresses for women. It's like if right. I tell my wife she looks beautiful, she's like, oh, thanks. But then if like her girlfriend tells her she looks beautiful, she's like, oh, thanks so much. And it's so much more gratifying for her to dress for women than it is for me, which I think that's cool. I mean, yeah. it's, it's time for that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I like seeing it. at the at the Turner Classic Movies, I see... I'll go a few days before there's like thrift stores around and I'll see all the people, all the girls getting hats and dresses. It's like the only place left in the planet where people can kind of dress up and wear something fun. You mean for the festival? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. There's a sort of a flair, (laughs) you know, uh, to that. I also think um, when I was in school, in acting school in the 80s, you know, and I lived with, you know, Different at different times, different women, and we. In one instance, we were broke, so we would buy, we'd all chip in and buy one dress. And we'd all, we'd rotate wearing it. Invariably, one girl would always ruin it. <laughs> be like, stop! You're wearing it too much. But it was always this. One of the most fun things was seeing something of mine on someone else. And you were or, all the same size, which is good. Yeah, you know that. Ha- that's a, that. There's a scene like that in Gold Diggers of 1933. I think where they where they all they, they have they they all share one dress. There's only one nice dress between oh, yes. them, and then yes, I, I think they decide Ginger Rogers is going to put it on because she looks <laughs> the best in it, and she's the one that's going to go try to get the job for all of them. I love. That. I wish we did that as grown-ups. We used to do this in school because we didn't have any money, but everybody would bring their clothes over, and we, you know, somebody would have a rack, and we would just trade things. And invariably, things always when people would say, "God, that looks so good on you. It doesn't look good on me at all." And you know, you get tired of something, and I wonder if that's tired of being you. In a sense, you need. You know, now you're putting on the woman's persona. Anyway, it was kind of a fun... I like that. And then they get into their fight scene. And uh, any issues with choreographing that? or Not at all. So tough. that was the one rehearsal I had with the two of them because I wanted to make sure that was going to work out. Yeah. Because that woman who played Trish, um, Laura Waddell, she was so sweet. And I didn't really imagine her doing violence or being uh-huh. very convincing. And I thought <laughs> I might have to really choreograph it and really... But boy, no, she wasn't. She was <laughs> extremely <laughs> aggressive, and she did it's her great. own choir, and she, and she just she had no problem. Yeah. So I saw that. I was like, oh, great, no problem. So. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the uh. So after the, the the love witch, you traveled. I was looking online. Things you traveled all over the world. Yeah, to- I traveled all over the world for Viva too, and I actually traveled more for Viva. But I decided to do less because it was so exhausting. Yeah. So, but you know, it was fine. And then um, I've been trying to, I've been trying to, you know, get another movie going, and it's, you know, it's been some work, but you yeah, know, that'll that'll get going hopefully. I'm, I'm working on a, it's like a gothic romance horror uh-huh. movie. And do you have? Do you like? Uh, at one point in the movie, you talk about the 18th century. Is that a an era you like? I mean, aside from, I know you like the 30s, but do you like 18th century Gothic romance? Well, I do. Of course I do. Um, but I think, like, my sense of the Gothic is more is more from, the, the like, the 40s and 50s movies 
mm-hmm. that were based on the Gothic romances. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like yes. Rebecca, and you know, it's more like you know, it's more suspicion and Rebecca and Gaslight. It's more, yeah. it's oh, more, it's more my my uh, my thing is more like through the movies in yeah. a way rather than through the literature. I read a lot, but I don't tend to read Gothic romances. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of audiobooks. Because I, when I'm doing my errands and stuff, and so I, I read a lot of literature that way now, so that's fun. I'm not doing the gothic romances. I'm right now. I'm, in, I'm doing War and Peace. I just went through wow. all of Dostoevsky. Wow! So cause, good for you. Well, just because why not? You know? No, that's, <laughs> like that's you're doing very errands, impressive. You know? <laughs> War and Peace. When you do, I have you know. So I have a lot of chores and things to do. So yeah, yeah. Um, I thought I wanted to get the longest book I could, so it would take me a while to get through. <laughs> I'm reading about uh, Jersey Kaczynski right now. Oh, yeah. She's an interesting uh-huh. writer and yeah. also went through the sexual revolution. That's Ver- one of the scariest books I've ever read is his Painted Bird. Oh, my God. Terrifying book. Yeah, and I think there's a movie of it coming out. It, I, I heard that, yeah. Yeah, so God, God only knows. But so now I'm reading a couple, couple multiple sort of books on him. That's my, if anyone's ever interested in I don't, I'm, I'm always interested in what people are. Did you have any, uh, you know, we were talking about at the top of the show, the Parasite went through all these different, yeah. uh, one of the things I loved about it was the, it went through all these different genres. And the, Yeah, and, that was interesting. And, and I thought that that was, would be freeing for filmmakers uh, to think, oh, okay, well, I don't, I can change my I mean, it was, it was kind of a, it was a kind of, movie. I, you know, you could tell it was heading that way, though. It's like it starts, you know, it starts as a thriller, and it's like, you're like, it's gonna, this is gonna get bloody. Mm-hmm. You know, you could sort of tell at the halfway point. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, I could. You know. But there would be so free, right, in the scene. Because it's like, how else is gonna, is it gonna escalate after, you know, after they've kind of, you know what I mean? They yeah. infiltrated this home. What could possibly happen? The only way for it to be interesting, I think, was gonna be for it to get, for it to turn into Grand Guignol in a way, you know? Yeah. So that's where you... I thought it was a you great... Think, you think about where where can this go? It's, it's as good only, I think. I'm so curious how they would do an American... Because, <clears throat> um, again, you get into that tone, mm-hmm. you know. is the, Will the tone and the beauty and that house and, uh, you know, there were so many things... So many subtle things, I think, about the house. The girl, you know, talking about the kids' art, I thought was classic. You know, there's just so many little touches uh, that were enjoyable. Yeah, actually, that was kind of gothic, right? I guess it was kind of gothic. Modern, modern Mm. gothic. Yeah. Because it's all about a house, the house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The basement, you know. It's also maybe a little, like, it was a little bit, like, high and low, I thought. Mm -hmm. Because it's all about, you know, the house, kind of the house on the hill. And then the, the peasants who can't, and then the anger, you know, the, the rage mm-hmm. about the class difference. Yeah, that's know? that was. Did you? But you you weren't into. Did you have any other films that you liked this year for the Oscars? Yeah, I did. Oh, <laughs> you don't want to tell me? You don't have to. My favorite. My favorite movie was Dolomite. Is my name? Oh, I love and Dolomite. I really, I really liked Joker. Uh, I really liked. Um, I really like Judy. Judy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just look at, for, for Joker and Judy, just, and even Dolomite, just like the performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind I Kind of like this, these kind of like, kind of performances you don't see anymore where people just let it get as big as they want. Yeah. I just love that. I love mm-hmm. seeing that in movies. I love, pe- I love seeing actors just knock themselves out and not be worried about having to be subtle or, 
understated or tasteful or anything mm-hmm. like that. Would I you ever direct really like a, you mentioned Judy? Would you ever direct a biopic? I mean, sure. I think about like you know like Lynch. David Lynch is like a very particular director in the same way that you are, but. A movie like Elephant Man is a little more like straight down the middle, sort yeah. of. I don't want to say Oscarsy, but a little more maybe driven toward a traditional biopic mass appeal. Does that interest you at all when you think about studios? Well, and- you know, my favorite biopic, one of my favorite biopics is um, John Huston's Moulin Rouge. Mm. Oh. I mean, but that's that's a different kind of biopic. Mm-hmm. That is an know. incredible film. I also love The Scarlet Empress. Mm-hmm. I'll be with Marlena Dietrich. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean these are the kind of biopics I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, where they, where you can, re- but you know, I thought I thought Dolomite was a great biopic. Mm, I did too. I thought I loved it. I've talked about it endlessly. It's like I, the best black movie I've seen in ages, and I just feel yeah. like because it is about blackness in a way mm-hmm. that I, th- I think other black movies are about kind of like being black in in a white world more, but this mm-hmm. is like about a black world. I really love that. <laughs> You know, I loved it. I loved every, yeah. everything. I love, about I love it. the cel- the cause celebratory quality of that. And it was great. Actors. It was kind of like so super mesmerizing. I felt like it was an important movie too, not just a comedy. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I that's how I I and I was so excited to see Eddie Murphy again. Yeah, and I thought the I thought it was so well done. Mm-hmm. So I loved that, and I was really sad to see that that didn't get any. Oscar I was, nominations. Yeah, I was I very sad. At least Eddie Murphy, you know, or the, or the screenplay. So that was, was crazy. Yeah, but. it's a mis- mystery. The you know, um, I was going to ask the uh, you know today I, I they have I don't know if you saw in the news they were doing the you know the ERA they're still trying to pass. <laughs> we'll get it passed, <laughs> ladies. It's only been fifty years. But uh, so they're resurrecting. They're trying to pass the uh, the ERA. And you were saying before about you know that the sexual revolution failed and all that. And you know, do you have any thoughts on what, why is it so difficult for women to get you know? Well, together that's a states and, thing, right? The ERA is a states problem. It's because certain states are really want to still keep women down. I mean, they're they're very you know they they have a lot of men in power that that are afraid of women. Well, being in the workplace and not being mothers and wives as much, and you know they're afraid of the, the how the world is changing. I think there's been that fear, um, but going ever since the '60s, right? But going 50s. back to the uh, going back to the <clears throat> '70s, there was this, you know, in some of the reading that I've done, you know, Betty Friedan was the person who basically created the whole, you know, the feminine mystique, and and then somewhere along the way. Gloria Steinem and the other people felt like she maybe was not an attractive enough person. Mm -hmm. And they pushed and they thought her ideas were old-fashioned and that she only represented housewives. And they sort of pushed her out of the way and they became a lot more militant and they failed. And You're saying the feminists failed. Yeah. Yeah, That's right. and And in a weird way, you know, all these years later... I, I, that's why I still feel like with women we can't really get it together in terms of determining who, well, you know, who part, do we want to be our leader. Part of it is it's kind of like how the Democrats are fighting right now amongst themselves. Yes. I think women fight so much amongst themselves about what type of fem. There's so right. many camps of feminism that are at war. I yeah. think that's one problem. People can't agree on things. They can't agree on policies and they can't agree on the goals. Feminism. I know. Why do you it's think? Kind of, do you have any? I have no well, idea because, what it is. But. Well, because people really, because people have very, very different ideas mm-hmm. about 
what makes a liberated woman. Women have very different ideas about that. I think they're legitimate concerns on all sides. Yeah. You know? So, for example, the radical feminists um, are totally against sex work because they feel that if any woman has to sell her body, then it means all women aren't free. Mm-hmm. And liberal feminists believe that telling a woman she can't do what she wants with her body is it's just a type of patriarchal oppression. And, you know, and then that's, those can't, those two sides are at war and they're, they're never going to, you know, they're never going to see eye to eye. Yeah. You know, because the thing is that, um, and both sides are blind in certain ways, mm-hmm. do you know? So, <laughs> well, I, think... I mean, and just, just in the sense that, um, just in the sense that radical feminists go way too far because they also hate things like glamour and burlesque and, and ways that women maybe use it, you know, doing sex work that they might enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, and how that's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then how sometimes liberal feminists are actually looking the other way when women's lives are being destroyed by pimps and traffickers because they so much want to support the idea that sex work is fine, that they allow all the criminals to come in and do their thing and like sort of look the other way. Right. You know, so there's like sort of it's very painful because it's very hard to um, reconcile mm-hmm. all these different ideologies. Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but did you see the, uh, I feel so dumb, the uh, the the Jennifer Lopez movie? Hustlers. The, Hustlers, the, the yeah. heist movie. Uh-huh. I was so looking forward to the movie, but I thought that it was kind of a weird mixed message when they're empowered and then they use all their money to buy Louis Vuitton and get manicures and things. I was like, well, wait a minute. This- well, again, that's just sort of like one of those things whereas women we have you know you know we have personal feelings about about our ideas and our ideologies about what it means to do this or yeah or what values you have and i wish it had just been a movie yeah. about the women working in the you know yeah. and mm-hmm. but that that's where i i think that these movies get confused in in a sense of like they don't really know well we want to have a little bit of sex where you know we want to have the, i think that that movie was like again was very much on the side of liberal feminism mm-hmm. to try to make to try to um make it so that it really was 100% about empowerment and then about having fun and you know what I mean about, yeah. or like about empowerment is having fun, or I know it's like I a get, sort of like, but that you know, but um, that's the message for me is always sort of confused of of you know you put people out like Britney Spears or Miley Cyrus and they're very young and they don't have any clothes on and they're dancing around, and then you know they become really famous, so therefore that becomes a symbol of oh okay I guess I'm supposed to do that. Well, all young girls are taught that message, unfortunately. No matter what anybody believes, but yeah. girl, by the time she's like fourteen, you already knows all that. Already knows that that if she wanted to do that, she could get a certain amount of power. Hmm. It's a very you know? ch- yeah, it's a challenge. They all know that, and they have to you know. Well, those are deal all with that you know. Yeah, those are all you know. But even you know, Barbara Stanwyck started as a fan dancer. <laughs> <laughs> But then she ended up as the head of the matriarch. Yeah. The, um, well, they uh, all did, right? Joan Crawford. They all started off like sort of new dancing or whatever. Even Gene yeah. Wyman, you know, 
Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't know about she her. She started off in the chorus. Oh, my God. But, um, yeah, you know, so it's been like, it's always been like that for women in a way. It's like if you can first be the little cookie, then right. later you can you can work your way up. Hmm. Once you have the attention of men who want to open doors for you. Yeah. You know, and how you how do you do that? Well, you just have to, you know, like, like the movie Babyface, right? Like, bad you know, move your way up one floor at a time. Such a great movie. I almost <laughs> wish they hadn't stopped films like that because it well, really would have been... It's very... Edu- I think those films are very ed- very educational for young girls in, in terms of showing them, like, these are options, but then this is yeah. also... These are also the, the pitfalls and... Yeah. And it's, you know, they can really relate to those kinds of stories. Well, also, everybody wasn't so likable, you know, but you still like them. There's this fear, I think, too, with women that they have to be likable and do likable things. And when you see a movie like Babyface, she's not doing anything that's likable. But you love her. You're like, you go, girl. It's so, you know, it's so awesome. Anyway, Anna, it's time to sadly wrap it up unless there's any final final comments from you. Um, no, I don't think so. All right. Um, I hope it was so nice painless. talking to you. Thank you. I it's could so go on. It just like kind of time flew by. Oh, good. That's good. Um, I, hope, I hope also for your listeners. Yes. I'm They'll sure. love it. This is, love you are a perfect guest for our show. We had people even asking about this when the movie was popping. So I thank know. you so much for being here, Anna. It's such an honor. Thank you. Can you talk so at much. all about the movie that you were just, like, what's next for you? Well, I'm working on this movie that's an adaptation of the, of the fairy tale Bluebeard. It's, mm, a gothic, it's a gothic horror romance, but it's really, again, it's like channeled through those those old... Um, women's pictures, you know, from the 40s yeah. and 50s, like Gaslight and and um, Suspicion, Sudden Fear, and all those movies where the, w- there's a, a woman who's married to a da- very dangerous husband. Mm, great. So, always. Yeah. <laughs> it always is. We'll uh, have you back when that's coming yeah. out. Keep us posted. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's funny. We didn't even do any, anti- any uh, quick anti-Valentine's Day movies. To recommend? Oh, all those movies. All those Bluebeard movies. All the Bluebeard movies are great. I threw in uh, In a Lonely Place. Oh, In a Lonely Place is great. It's a pretty bad anti... Julie was playing the other night in TCM. That's a good one. Oh, Julie. Doris Day and Louis Jordan. Yes. He's a psychopath. <laughs> it's the one Midnight that you... Lace is another good Midnight one with Lace. Doris Day. Yeah. It was was with a psychopath. It was Rex Harrison this time. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. I love that Gaslight. Gaslight is great. It's um, a really good Gone one. Gone Girl, if we need a modern one, maybe. Gone Girl. Yeah. Gone Girl is good. Yeah. Um, Angel Face is really good for the for, for the woman, terrible woman. Yeah. Leave her to heaven. Yeah. And uh, and also um, Human Desire, anything by by um, Fritz Lang. Mm. But Human Desire, anything with Gloria Graham in it, you know, it's not going to oh, turn yeah. out well for her. But <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but, but that's my uh, Valentine's pick. All right, everyone. As we end the show, as we always say, everyone's life is like a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this is the end of our movie for today. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Happy Valentine's Day. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the film scene with Ileana Douglas, airing exclusively on the Popcorn Talk Network. We bring you this show for free because we're just as passionate and borderline obsessed with film as you are. And it would mean a lot if you would please subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It takes five minutes to review the show, but it helps other film junkies find the show and continue to spread a love of classic and contemporary film. For guest inquiries or live bookings, you can email me, Jeff Graham, at guests at afterbuzztv.com. That's G-U-E-S-T-S at A-F-T-E-R-B-U-Z-Z dot com. For more incredible film content, check us out online at The Popcorn Talk, and we'll see you after the credits.